Welcome to the Gold Exchange Podcast, where we untangle market and policy complexity using timeless economic principles. For show notes and archives, go to goldexchangepodcast.com. Now, on to today's episode. Welcome back to the Gold Exchange Podcast. We are here in New Orleans at the New Orleans Investment Conference 2022. I'm joined by special guest, Larry Lepard. Larry is a sound money advocate, fix the money, fix the world, and he's in charge of the Gold Fund EMA. Larry, really great to have you. Oh, great to be on your show. Really appreciate the invite. So, Larry, uh, you obviously have just a wide breadth of knowledge. You're a sound money guy, and that's what we love to have on the podcast. So let's kind of dive into some, sure. some major questions Go here. for it. Let's start with interest rates. So we're in a kind of rising interest rate environment at the moment. Seems like Powell has really laid down the gauntlets that we're raising rates. But I see a lot of breaking happening. So do you think 2022, 2023, we'll see a pivot? I do, um, and I think I, I rate it right now at about a 50% chance in 2022, wow. and, uh, and by the end of 2023, 100% chance, right. because things are breaking quickly. The Bank of England is the perfect recent example, but you know the Italian 10-year, the Japanese, you know, it's 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 worldwide, right? Things are breaking, and you know we we can't in the system we built with the debt level that we built, it cannot sustain higher interest rates for any period of time. It just can't, um, and so they're going to be forced into a condition where they have to do yield curve control, Japan's already doing it, mm. and they need to purchase our bonds to keep the yields from going too high and creating a debt do move. So that's that's coming. And the only issue is when. I, I don't think Powell, I, I, I believe him when he says he doesn't intend to pivot. Um, and, and he doesn't until something worse happens. Right. Right. I mean, they didn't, you know, they didn't intend to print all the money they printed in 2020. But when the market fell apart and the bond market went no bid, they did it. Right. And so, you know, the third Fed mandate we always talk about is, you know, financial continuity and stability. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, I'm of the opinion that as, as things come unglued here and something does break, they will be forced to pivot. Yeah, that's the question is what breaks and what's important enough to central bankers to break that they say, right. guys, it's it's the bond market really. The bond market. It's the bond market is the leading indicator because and, and it's where the trouble is as well, because you know, we're we're printing eight percent inflation and the ten years at four. And so basically you're losing 4% real on that bond every year you hold it. So in 10 years you lose 40% of your money. It's a bad deal. Um, so unless you believe that inflation is going to severely come down, and I don't, um, you know, the bond market is going to continue to school them. And as it goes higher and higher in yield, that creates a bigger and bigger U.S. deficit, which means they have to sell more bonds, which this is the doom loop, right? You're, you know, the, the, what we're seeing is G7 countries are starting to look the way emerging countries used to look, right. right? I mean, this used to happen to Venezuela or Brazil or Argentina. This didn't happen in G7 countries, oh my gosh. but now it is. And, and that's, that's what happens when you get a really large sovereign debt crisis. And that's what we've got going on. Yeah, and I mean, talking about the sovereign debt crisis, right? This is a lot of Brent Johnson's DXY, dollar right. milkshake, and, and right now it seems to be playing out in, in global Absolutely, fashion. I mean, a huge respect for Brent and, and his theory. I, I didn't understand fully how how much it would play out this mm. way. And, and, and yet, you know, as I, in my presentation I showed, and the presentation's available on Twitter, as I showed in my presentation, you know, the dollar is kind of becoming a parabola. It's going up incredibly quickly. And, you know, we all know in financial markets, we all know how parabolas end. They don't end well. Right. So to me, the dollar is kind of like, you know, the, the dollar's strength is a little bit like the, the, the tide going out in front of the tsunami. You know, everything's fine, the water's drawing out. You think, oh, we're safe, it's all good. 
but when it crashes, it's going to be a hell of a mess. Well, that tsunami analogy is really right because it actually gets a little bit drier for a little bit, right? And actually, right. things are getting better. Things are getting better, yeah, right. Yeah, the tide's receding, and then exactly. next thing you know, there's a 40-foot exactly. you know, wall of water. Exactly. So let's talk about those kind of other banks. So uh, there's a lot of skepticism and, and looking at, hey, you know, the Fed is in a tough position here. But if the Fed is in a tough position, Bank of England, Bank of Japan? Much much tougher. I mean, it's, you know, they all have, they all have the problem we have, and it's just hitting them first because they're not the reserve currency. Right. Japan's been doing this for years and years, and you know the, the problem that they're seeing is that their currency continues to slide. I mean, you know the Japan the Japanese yen is down like 20% this year. It's that's like an enormous figure. I mean, you know, one percent, one two five percent move in a G7 currency in any given year. That's a big number. 20% is almost unheard oh unheard of. And so, you know, what what I think we're seeing is the earlier stages of general fiat currency failure, or if not failure, very severe inflation think, as think a result. Think about the yen, 20%, you said, 20%. 20, 20% down this year. It's yeah. incredible. It is incredible. So, and you know, the euro is going to go through the same thing, and the pound was going through the same thing until they intervened. Right. Right, so it's, it's coming. Well, and let's talk about that intervention, right? I think we discussed earlier, someone said, it might have been Brent Johnson saying, when was the last time in history that a central bank or any government intervened into the markets this heavily and then it all went away. Oh, that's all we had to do, just a one-time fix. Larry. Yeah, it, it never happens. It never happens. It, it never happens. And so, you know, this has, to me, this has a vibe The very is very similar to whether you want to call it 2007 or the summer of 2008. Right. You know, you, we're, we're building up to something here. Thing, things are getting worse and, they're, and more and more you know, to use the dike analogy, you know, we've got fingers in the dike, but the leaks keep springing up. Right. Right. And at some point, I think the dike's going to break. And that's, that's how I see it. Yeah. And, and I want to talk now about actually what rate hikes are doing, because there's a lot of non-monetary forces that are adding to inflation, right? right? And there's the Ukraine war. There's obviously a lot of oil shortages and stuff. Now there's an energy crisis. And these rate hikes, I mean, these have financial impacts, right? Oh, it's they not have, just they a have huge financial impacts. I mean, think about the housing market. Think oh. about people who have variable rate mortgages. Oh I mean, gosh. yeah, it's, it's, it's bad stuff. And, um, you know, and the thing is, the, you know, if we look at what's driving the inflation, there are a lot of things. Obviously, they printed 40% more money, M2, in, the, in 20 and 21. You know, they, they did huge stimulus with the PPP and all that right. sort of stuff. And so that led to inflation. But also it's a supply problem mm. driven by Russia, you know, cutting things off and driven by supply chains being broken, you know, from COVID. And, and you can't solve, I mean, you know, getting that kind of inflation to go away is not a function of higher interest rates. I totally agree. And arguably even, if you think about what we really need is we need to make investments to produce, to, in, to increase productive capacity. And imagine doing it, it, that at the rate hikes that we're looking at That's now. my point. I mean, yeah. it, you know, if you need to make more investments, does raising rates really help? I mean, no, it increases the cost of capital for those companies that might need to make those investments. So counterintuitively, you know, the, the, the raising rates isn't necessarily helping the inflation problem. It could be it could be making it worse. I think we say this all the time, that if, if you really wanted lower prices, you would want to lower that interest rate so there's this kind of production. And by raising rates right now, we're going to add to this inflation problem. It's, it's very possible. I mean, there are competing forces. I mean, For sure. um, yeah, there are competing forces. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's you know, I think in, when the history of this time is written, you know, this Fed is going to be just, you know, totally uh, and rightly criticized very heavily. It's ugly stuff. I mean, they're it, not doing the right things. They're not they're not There thinking, is no right thing to do. Well, right? that's true too. Well, there is. I mean, you know, 
declare that we should go back to a gold standard and do a reset. But that, you know, the odds of that happening are, are about zero. Right. 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 Near so, zero. Yeah. Well, okay, let's jump now. So we've been talking about central banks and interest rate hikes, right. and I want to actually go to something that is now on our mind because we're in October. We've been talking about zombies. These are zombie firms right. in the month of October for sure. a zombie month. So I'll quickly define for everyone. A zombie is a corporation that has profits that are less than their interest expense. Right. The only reason that they're still alive is because of these really forgiving credit markets and low interest rates. Right. But now, as we just discussed, we're in a rising rate environment. These zombies employ people, they produce goods, and clearly they're a big chunk of the economy. Right. So what happens to these zombie firms that are well, already on the edge? They fail. I they mean, fail. They, they just fail is the bottom line. And, and this is, you know, this is why you know, I believe that what the Fed is doing right now is going to drive us into an outcome that looks closer to 1929 mm -hmm. than anything we've ever seen. I mean, it hasn't, it, obviously there's a lag between when the time when you do a monetary policy thing right. and it affects the economy, but you know, it, the lag may not be that long in this particular case. I mean, sure. recall that six months ago the housing market was on fire and everyone was, you know, queuing up to compete and pay right. more for houses. Now the housing market is flat to down prices are falling rapidly, you know, mortgage apps are falling rapidly, because the 30-year mortgage went from 3% to 7%, you know, in less than six months. I mean, suddenly you can afford a lot less house with that kind of an interest rate. And, and so that'll flow through to everything. So, you know, there'll be more realtors who are unemployed and there'll be more people who, you know, there'll be less uh, construction being done. And, and this just is, it's a vicious cycle, right? It's horrible. And this is what happens. I mean, what, what we had was the world's largest credit bubble and it was really all driven by zero interest rate policies from 20, 2009 to 2015. And they started trying to figure out how to get out of it in 2015. And they obviously weren't able to do it in 2018 and 19. And they really didn't do it in 2020. Now it's gotten even worse. And there's really, you know, the, 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 basically all that's left to be done now is to mark to market and everyone accrues their losses. And it's going to be ugly as a result. Yeah, it, it, it's going to be ugly, um, but I want to talk now about gold and silver. Sure. So gold and silver are, you know, kind of in the sideways pattern at the moment. Right. Um, and there's a lot of kind of contradictory things. You'll see rate hikes, but gold will move or it will. Yeah. So where do you see gold and silver currently, and, and where do you see the future? There's definitely a lot of buying pressure, but there's also a lot of selling pressure. Do you think that selling pressure will abate and that buying I pressure I do, will... and I think a lot of the selling pressure is just paper. I mean... You know, one of the things I think is very interesting right now, I'm sure you've talked about it in other interviews, is there's not a lot of physical around to be bought. I mean, I was trying this morning to find some gold coins and some silver mm -hmm. coins, you know, at some of the big sites, the big online sites. They're all out of stock, you know, and the, the, the premium right now on silver coins is 80% over spot. The premium on gold coins, which I checked this morning, is 12% over spot. That premium used to be kind of, it, it would be 5%, maybe 6 so it's double, you know, it's at least double what it used to be, which just tells you how tight the market for physical is. And I heard this anecdotally from a coin dealer that right after the Bank of England event, he said his volume went up 10x. Wow. So, you know, I, I think the, the future for the metals prices is quite bright. I, I would say, however, that, you know, it hasn't exactly hit yet because, you know, two things. One, paper manipulation, and two, you know, in a tight monetary environment, everyone sells everything because you're scrambling for cash. That's right. And that's what's going on right now. So, um, but my view is that, you know, gold kind of has touched on the 2000 plus or minus area three times. In 2011, it was at 1900. In, 20, in the summer of 2020, it was at 2050. And then last, earlier this year, is at 2070. So there's kind of a, a ceiling at 2070-ish on gold, 2050, mm -hmm. 2070 gold. 
And I think once we break through that ceiling, we're going to squirt up to 3,000 really quickly. Wow. Really, and, and that's partly because everything in Wall Street's you know algorithm driven, and right. and people chase new all-time highs. Mm. And so, so the next leg in gold, in my opinion, is going to be explosive to the upside, and it's coming. You know, it's just more and more people need to kind of get the memo. I mean, there's still, I couldn't believe it, I did another podcast this morning, we were talking about, there's still a lot of people who are buying the dip in the stock market, and they think the stock market's going to come roaring back. I don't get it. I mean, I think earnings are going to be going down, I think multiples are going to be contracting, you know, and, and the bond market, as we all know, has been an unmitigated disaster. Wow, I yeah. mean, you know, this is like the worst bond market in, you know, like 80 years or something. I mean, right. it's, it's a horrible horrible thing and that's just because of this runaway inflation that they can't really get control of and it seems like there's nothing they can do to get control no of. i mean i it, it does and i mean look and and by the way you know we may get some better inflation prints i mean it's you know at some point this year over year comparison isn't going to be quite so bad if the economy does slow down i mean they are killing a lot of demand i mean i looked at you know the pepsico numbers recently i mean they they increased their prices 17 percent but their revenues were only up 9%, which means their volume fell by 8%. So, you know, people are buying less sugar water. And, and, and what that tells, I mean, and I think that's gonna be true throughout the entire economy. I mean, I think, you know, it hasn't affected employment yet, but employment's a lagging indicator. Sure. It's definitely affected housing. And it's, it's gonna affect other things as well. It's affected used car prices. You know, I mean, look, the bottom line on all this is the money is broken. I mean, they've really, They've really broken the monetary Certainly. system. I mean, you know, when they went and printed, you know, they, they grew, you know, remember the, the Fed balance sheet from 2008 to 20, you know, 10 or 11, it grew like $3 trillion over, you know, three or four years. We grew like almost $4 trillion in 18 months, right? It was nuts, just nuts. And then they gave all the free money away through, through COVID and all the PPP stuff, right? And then they increased, I mean, there was a year where the, the government deficit run rate was something along the lines of three to four trillion dollars. I mean, that's just, that's crazy. And, and so to think that you can do those kinds of things and not, not have really adverse consequences is just, it's, it's, it's fuzzy, it's, it's weak thinking. It's just fuzzy thinking. Well, I, I wanna jump on that because, and monetary metals were obviously huge sound money advocates, right, so right. our whole kind of mission or values is sound right. money. Yeah, no, I know. It's great. It's incredible. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, good stuff. You know, you, I might become a customer. I, we, we need you here. Yeah. Um, but I, what I want to talk about now is obviously for monetary metals customers, you're earning ounces of gold. So it's right. less about the price of gold over time. You just right. want more ounces, right? Right. But uh, I want to talk about the worst performing asset of 2022. Get your thoughts on that. And I also want to hear what you think the worst performing asset of 2023 is going to be. So 2022, I'm pretty sure it's bonds, long bonds. Oh, I, I could be wrong, but I, it's, a, it's neck and neck between you know the triple Q and long bonds. And can but, we stop there for a second? Sure. Bonds, the worst asset of 2022. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's it's because of the runaway inflation. I mean, it's just you know. And by the way, I think they might end up being the worst asset of 2023 as well. Wow. Yeah, I don't think this is over. I mean, I know there's some people who say, well, you can buy the dip in bonds. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I mean, I would never buy any kind of a long bond. I mean. You know, if you wanted to buy a one year and get 4%, I mean, 4% is better than it used to be. You got to remember, you know, six months to a year ago, all the shorter maturity treasuries were yielding 1% or less. Mm. And now yielding 4%, that's, you know, that's better, right? And if you're only in there for a year or two, you know, okay, you're not taking a ton of risk in the sense that, you know, you know the government will print the money to pay you back your bond. Right. But, but even so, you're still losing, you know, 4% a year if inflation's eight. And, and by the way, as, as we all know, the inflation isn't what they really say it is, it's worse. Right. Import prices show that, shadow government stats shows that. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, bonds are a pretty bad place to be. And, and to me, 
an absolute must avoid. But having said that, stocks aren't great either. Uh, and to the degree you want to be in stocks, I think you want to be in commodity-related stocks. Because to me, the, big, the, the other macro big picture thing that I always try to emphasize is I think we've turned the corner on deflation. From 1980 to um, basically you know, 2020, we just, deflation was relentless. And bonds were a one-way bet. You know, buy a long bond, it'll always go up in value because interest rates are going down. Well, right. interest rates had hit zero. A lot of interest rates in Europe were negative. Wow, yeah. There was no further down to go. <laughs> I know. Right? And they push. Where, yeah, there was just no further down to go. And then they thought, well, you know, we live in a different world. We don't have inflation. And that's how they got into the transitory mistake. And as it turns out, no, we do have inflation. Yeah. You print 40% and, you know, and uh, send people a bunch of money. Guess what? You're going to have inflation. So I want to ask you now, so there's kind of a joke going around this recession. We can't talk about it. So right. instead, we can call it a banana, right? Right, we've got That's a banana. joke. So yeah. we, we've got a banana. Um, what is the deal? Are, are we going to see a recession into 2023? Or do you think that Powell is going to say, hey, listen, the midterms are coming up, uh, and, and we can't handle this pressure. We're, we're going to turn this banana around. Yeah. I, I don't think Powell's going to pivot. I think he knows he'd lose all his credibility if he pivoted right now without an exogenous event. Mm. I think they need, I mean, I could be wrong about that, but I think they need, you know, a serious market dysfunction that they can label a crisis. And then what I'll be able to say is, you know, my pivot is what saved the day. Right. Right. The very same way Bernanke just got the Nobel Prize for quote unquote saving the day in 08 by bailing out the banks. So, you know, I, I can see. Uh, I could see a pivot on a crisis. I can't see one without one. Mm. Um, but it's coming, and when it does, it's going to be massively inflationary. Because what really drives this whole picture is, do people trust the money or not? Do people trust the people managing the money, and they think the money is going to be good? And if they, once they become sincerely convinced that right? the money is, yeah, the money is going to continually be debased, they start looking for alternatives, which is what your company offers, which is what my fund offers, which is, you know, there are a lot of things that offer it, but you start saying to yourself, I can't save this $100 or this $1,000 in cash because it'll buy less than three years. Well, let me get to that. So right. when you're looking at negative interest rates, right? right. And, and this happened. This negative is real, yeah. yeah. Oh, or, or, oh. Ne or negative in Europe, yeah. Negative in yeah. Europe. Yeah, yeah. So there's negative real rates, but there's negative nominal rates as yeah, well. Yeah, there were, yeah. So, uh, you know, let, let me maybe walk you through something and you tell me where I go wrong. So you have negative real rates, right? right? And you have negative nominal rates. Right. So if you put your money in a bank, you're losing money over time. So yes. you're either going to speculate that stuff in the stock market, right. or you're going to try to, I don't know, where can you escape, right? There's nowhere to escape, minus gold and silver, right? right. And these other currencies. So I think that's right. I mean, I would add, you know, and I know you guys don't sell, but I would add Bitcoin in there too. I think Bitcoin is, an, is a digital form of gold that, that is, a, is an escape hatch. I mean, hmm. what you want to have is you want to have money that the state can't control or print. And um, gold, silver, and Bitcoin are the three categories that are the most obvious example. Excuse me, obvious examples of that. Right, right. Well, okay. I want to get to kind of where your headspace is at. What are you reading? Who are you kind of into? And I know we mentioned Bernanke got his uh, his Nobel Prize, so but who who is someone that you uh, look up to who should be winning a Nobel Prize other than me in a couple of uh, years? Yeah. <laughs> well, Ron Paul, but <laughs> um, you know it. There, sadly, we don't have a lot of great leaders out there right now. I mean, I, I, I'm hoping some will emerge. Um, you know, I, I think that the Austrian economists have been badly ignored and that they mm. accurately predicted and understood what's going on here. Um, and, you know, posthumously, you know, we should give von Mises an auto, uh, you know, a, Absolutely. a, a prize. But 
you know, these prizes, are, they're all bullshit anyway. I mean, they're basically just giving these things out to justify the stupid shit they did. Of course. Right? And they did a bunch of stupid shit. And Nike got the prize. I know, it's, hor it's horrible. I mean, I, don't get me started, because that's just, to me, it's just horrible. But he's not the only one. I mean, look, they're all bad. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, what, there was another part to that question. Well, I and yeah, what, what are you reading? Who, who's oh, yeah, what, what am I reading? I don't know. I read all kinds of things. I read novels. I read, you know, read a lot of economic things. Um, there was a good book written by somebody who was actually kind of mainstream about the policies of the Fed. I'm forgetting the name of it now. Maybe we can look it up afterwards. Sure. But, in the show uh, notes. Yeah, and, the, and put it in the show notes. Um, you know, I read The Mandibles, which is a very interesting novel. You're familiar with it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, a very interesting novel about what a family and what happened to them when the currency failed in America, which it was, you know, uh, it was eye-opening to me. It's not pleasant, but it was eye-opening to me. Um, you know, I've, I've read, uh, I read novels. I just recently read uh, um, Under the Scarlet Sky, which is the story of an Italian kid who uh, helped fight the Nazis in Italy in World War II. Um, you know, I, I, all kinds of things. I, mostly economic-related stuff, though. Uh, you know, there, uh, there are a couple of good books I've got on my nightstand. I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the name, but if it's, if it's economics and policy related. You've read it. I'll, I've read it or I'll, it's on the list to read. So, good. yeah. Okay. Well, now I want to ask you kind of a, a different question here. So uh, I want to know what is some of the best investing advice you've got? Because we're at the New Orleans Investment Conference. Sure. And maybe you can impart some wisdom. Yeah, on I'd be happy to. I, this, I remember this very clearly when I, I was just out of business school and I was working for an old guy passed away since then and he was a very savvy guy and um, I don't know we were out after work somewhere having a beer and he said you know he said Larry this business isn't as hard as you think I said really John why and he said well he said look at it this way he said you know remember in investing you can only lose one dollar or one times what you put up if you're not stupid you don't put good money after bad right. you hear a story you think it through you go this ought to make make sense you invest in it you're wrong you can lose one dollar but you know what if you're right and if you pick carefully, you might make $2 or $3 or $5 or $10. And that's asymmetry, right? Mm -hmm. That you can make a lot more than you can lose. So he said, look, you just try and find situations where you think it's a better than even bet that it's going to work, right. right? And you find those kinds of odds, and you're going to get way ahead. And he was right. He was an early investor in Apple. Mm. You know, I mean, it's, he had many, many investment successes. He was an early investor in Intel. I mean, it, and so, you know, it, it was kind of like, try and buy something that's a good story, good quality, you know, has got a big tailwind and macro trend behind it. And even if you're paying a little too much for it, just buy it. And because knowing that over time, trends tend to continue. And then if it works, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna do extremely well. And, and occasionally you'll get it wrong, but you gotta live with that. You gotta live, you gotta be prepared. You gotta take the risk, be prepared to, you know, maybe lose a dollar. I mean. When Apple first came out, it was very controversial. I mean, like, that's a personal computer. You really need one, I mean, right. It, right? I mean, look at what it is today, right? And, and so, um, you know, I mean, I remember when the internet first came out. I mean, Krugman said it's no more important than the fax machine. Everyone thought it was no big deal. I made a ton of internet investments. They work great. So, you know, it's it's kind of like you've got to you've got to be able to be maybe where some other people aren't because you're a little bit early. But if you see something that's working and you see a big trend behind it, that's a very powerful thing. I want to ask you one more question sure. before we head out, but where can people find your work? I mean, obviously you're on Twitter. We love Yeah, I'm on Twitter and I make a lot of noise there, as you know, right? So it's just my name, at Lawrence Lepard. But I also have a website that's called EMA2, uh, Edward Mark Alpha, the number two, dot com. And I publish all my letters. I publish a lot of white papers. We publish charts and so forth. So it's all free. 
Um, so you can go there and that gives you a sense of uh, how we view the world. It might be helpful. Great, last question here. What's a question we should be asking the rest of the people who sit in your chair? Oh boy, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I, think that, I think that it's important to ask everybody, you know, this was actually Brent Johnson's point of his presentation the other day. I think it's important to ask everybody, have they stress tested their investment choices against all the possible outcomes and variables? Mm. Because we really do live, this is a very big, what's going on right now is a, is a fourth turning, very big event. And, and everything's changing, the rules are gonna change. And I think one of the great mistakes I think a lot of investors right now are making is they're investing in the rear view mirror. I mean, if, if you've been in the stock market since 2008, the right answer has always been buy the dip. Right. Just buy the dip because right. they'll print, it'll solve it, things will go higher, and we'll hit new records. Right. That's worked for a long, long time until the top in 2021. That top won't be exceeded for 20 years in my opinion. And so the people who are buying the dip right now, they're going to get their asses handed to them. I mean, I'm highly confident in that. Now, I might get my ass handed to me too, but maybe in a different way, in a different segment. And my point is that you've got to kind of test all your assumptions and you've got to think about why you are where you're at and what could happen if it goes against you. Um, and that's why you want to have diversity. And, and once again, if you can only lose one X, but you can make five or 10 X, you know, and you have enough bets out there, you're going to be fine. That's, that's I think the way I view it. Larry, it's been a pleasure having Absolutely. you. Absolutely, nice to be with you. Fix Enjoyed money, it. fix yeah. the world. Thank you, that's what we're trying to do. You guys are too. <laughs> Thanks so much, and we'll see you soon on the Gold Exchange Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Monetary Metals. Monetary Metals is a different kind of gold company. Others buy and sell gold. Monetary Metals operates the Gold Yield Marketplace, a platform of products that offer a yield on gold paid in gold to investors and institutions. and are gold financing simplified, reliable financing denominated in gold with a built-in hedge for gold using and gold producing businesses. To learn more, visit www.monetary-metals.com. See you next time.